Welcome to the Property Nomads podcast. Today, joined by Tim Bishop of Solicitors Bon Alec and Bishop. Uh, Tim describes himself as an entrepreneur who owns a law firm as well as owning the medium sized legal practice. Tim is an active investor and developer. And today, we're going to be discussing Tim's legal six pack, uh, the six documents that every property investor needs to consider having in place to safeguard their business. Quite an important and practical subject today. Really looking forward to hearing what Tim has to say. And Tim, thank you very much for your time today. Pleasure to be on board and thanks for inviting me. Loads of different documents to, to go through, uh, but as we just touched upon there in, in the legal world and also property investor developer. So if you could just take a couple of minutes to just give a, add a bit more meat to the bones and then we'll get on with the legal six pack. If that's okay. About me, yeah. How about yourself, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, I own a, a law firm. I've got about 65 staff. And we deal with everything you'd expect, but we particularly specialise in acting for investors. So I've got about probably about 22 people in the property investor team and doing conveyancing. So conveyancing, we've got a highly specialist team dealing with lease sold. That's lease extensions, freehold purchase, that kind of stuff. Possibly the largest, most specialist team of its type in the country. Specialist property litigator, etc. Um, but I'm also an investor and developer myself. I no longer run cases. So I've got experience of commercial conversion, converted in what was my Andover office to, to flats, six flats, which we hold. I've got an eight bed HMO converted from a three bed house. I'm hopefully going to finally exchange this week on an 11 bed B&B to convert into a 13 unit apart hotel. And I'm also in the process of buying an office to put into a family SAS, the small self-administered scheme pensions. Um, so gradually, gradually, I'm doing a lot at the moment, but I, I love both. And I think the two combine well for me. And in terms of the property aspect how or what made you go from you know the legal aspect into actually what's become an investor developer what was there a, a particular thing that flipped the switch or was it just a natural occurrence an accident <laughs> like a lot of people actually end up things by accident so i had owned property before but um, because of the size of our firm we had to invest a lot of capital into it so actually i had a house in london i had to sell uh, and i made you know made 200 profit on it which is great except that since then it's gone up by another 200 so never mind perhaps my timing wasn't great um but basically um about all oh, about 10 12 years ago i bought an office in andover we had an office there uh, and i didn't like paying rent so i bought an office and i remember as i went around it thinking we don't need all this space but i imagine this would be great for flats Just the layout and I didn't think any more than that it's just the fact that it had front entrance and a back entrance that went to all the flats just the way it was laid out and then lo and behold probably a few years later when um, we were we were wondering what to do with the rest of the building because we'd actually lost a tenant um, that was about I think the time when the property investment was really taking off say five six years ago um, so then I thought actually I, I'll look into this and I heard about uh, permitted development um, and really cracked on from that so then decided to convert that uh, went on a mentorship course made lots of mistakes um, had a very slow uh, progress. The joke at the time was I was trying to get the Guinness Book of Records for the slowest ever commercial conversion. Um, and I made lots of uh, mistakes on that. And I'm happy to share those perhaps in a future podcast. But yeah, ended up converting that nicely. It, it worked well. Um, and we, we hold it to this day. Awesome stuff. So really, um, on where we're going to go to with the legal six pack, obviously, you've got the legal experience behind you and a great team behind you. Then you've also got the what I would say the extra practical side of where you're, you're an investor, you're a developer. So these are more pertinent, shall we say. It's probably a good word to use. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think of these things very much okay, from a lawyer, but also from an investor's point of view, you know, and so I do understand their mindset. Perfect. Well, uh, without further ado, let's crack on then uh, in no particular order. Um, I, I mean, I've got the six documents in front of me. So again, no particular order there. Uh, wills, lasting power of attorneys, partnership agreements, employment contracts, 
uh, customer contracts and shareholders agreements and articles of association. Uh, really, Tim, the, the floor is all yours. Uh, you, you crack on with where you want to start and uh, I'll interject where necessary. That's great. Um, Perhaps I can uh, open by saying that I know this isn't always the most exciting subject. You know, I'm an investor myself and I'm an entrepreneur who owns a law firm. And what gets me up in the morning is the deal. I love that, that kind of stuff. And it has to be said that even though I'm a lawyer, the contract isn't necessarily the most exciting part of it. Um, But the danger is that we all go for the exciting thing. It's a bit like when you go for a dog and you choose a new puppy. The danger is you always go for the one who bounds at you, the exciting one. That might not be the right fix for your lifestyle. So just to say, this is not necessarily exciting. exciting, but it's very important. And the kind of example I give is like insurance. Insurance is of absolutely no use to you whatsoever until you need it. And when you need it, you need it. If you haven't got it, you're stuffed. And this is exactly the same. So it's a bit like doing insurance. It may seem pointless. It may seem boring. But if you don't have it in place and one of these things happens, you're in all sorts of trouble. And the contracts are relatively simple and relatively straightforward and relatively cheap. So to me, it's actually insurance. In the same way you have to buy insurance, you really do need these documents, however boring they may seem. They are essential. I would say just to, to add to that, uh, you know, at the time of, at the time of recording this, um, I'll be getting married uh, next year. So again, this is, you know, for myself, I'll, I'll probably be scribbling, taking extra notes as well because of how pertinent this, this topic is. And secondly, I think for people listening to this, before you get started, they can tell from... The enthusiasm you're speaking with, that actually putting that passion, uh, you know, will inspire people that haven't already got this done to get this done. So, you know, absolutely. Um, well, Tim, uh, on that note, uh, where, where would you like to start? Uh, do you have a particular order of importance or? I, th- I think I'll start with the easiest one, the simplest and the cheapest. And that's a will. Okay. Um, okay. Basically, the statistics are always pretty consistent. Something like 70 percent of people um, have added, uh, sorry, have valid up-to-date wills. But that means about 30% don't. Now, they're really cheap comparatively. They're simple and they're absolutely essential. Um, And um, if if you don't have one, there's a real risk. This is not just investors, any business. You end up with chaos in your business potentially and loss of control of your legacy. So I suppose with the chaos point, you know, what do you want to, to your business to happen if you die? This is particularly if you own a business on your own, but it does also apply if you share a business. You know, what do you want done with it? If you don't make it clear, then frankly, um, you know, you have no control about where it goes. Um, how do you want your business interests to be inherited? You know, it, it might be, you know, you're married, you're about to get married. You may think, uh, you know, you, your, your wife wants to get it all uh, or, or you may want to give it to children or whatever. Everyone's circumstances are different and critically they change. So, for example, when I was 21, I had no business interests, I had no savings, I had no pension, I had no investments, I had no long-term girlfriend, I had no children as far as I was aware, you know, and it's very different from now. You know, I'm now 60. I've got a you know, substantial law firm, I've got you know, property assets that are growing, married for 31 years, two children. It's all very different. So you need one, but also you need to make sure it's updated. You know, you getting married changes your circumstances. Um, and even the government, and they're not always great fan of lawyers, there's even something on the government website that actually says, on these circumstances, you need to update your will. Not you, you should, but actually you need. And the government normally aren't that friendly to lawyers recommending they need advice. So if the government's saying it, well, frankly, you know, that really says it all. Um, you know, if you do share a business, what happens to it? You know, your directors or partners, how are they going to be left? You know, um, do they carry on run the business without you? Do they get the business? Does it get sold? You, you need to be clear. Um, and I don't think people like thinking about passing on, but I'm afraid to say, you know, apart from taxes, it's about the only thing certain in life. You know, you are going to die sometime. And although we don't like to think about it, especially if you're only 21, you, you want to live forever. But frankly, we don't. Um, so it is important. 
Also, for example, there are missed opportunities of attack savings. Again, less relevant to a 21-year-old with no assets. But once you start developing property, you know, you've got a data, you've got a, an asset base there. Tax is critical. Um, and if you don't get the right tax savings, you can miss out. And getting a will is an essential part of that. So if you have a specialist property tax accountant, and I advise anybody who's vaguely serious about property to have a specialist, uh, you know, you need to discuss what tax savings with them, what would happen if you passed away, and then convert with your lawyer and make sure they put it in place for you. I won't bore you the intestacy rules, but in short, if you don't um, have um, uh, a will, then what's called the intestacy rules apply. There's this list of where they go, and uh, that's automatic. So, for example, um, if you have no um, surviving children, um, then your pa your spouse gets the whole of the estate. But if you had children, for example, um, then your, your wife or partner uh, doesn't get everything. And it's quite important, therefore, to plan where you want money to go, because we've had cases where people have... Um, thought the wife was going to get everything or the husband is going to get everything or the, 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 um, uh, the civil partner. And actually, it doesn't work out that way because they've got children, which can mess things up. And, and sometimes that can be quite tragic. Um, it avoids problems of uncertainty if you're family. You know, I'm afraid to say we do act sometimes for contested probate or contested will cases, and they're horrible. We always warn people that actually, if you, if you want one guaranteed way to split your family, argue about a will. Uh, it splits families forever. Uh, it gets very expensive. So it's horrible. It avoids those kind of risks. Uh, and also, it's important for people who are living together, um, because obviously, with, with if you're married, there are certain automatic rights. But if you're not, if you're living together, however long you've been living together, um, you can be at risk. There is no such thing as common law marriage. People sometimes think there is. There's not. And last time I checked, something like six and a half million people were cohabiting. Uh, and if one dies, the other one gets no property at all, uh, whether it's a tenancy or a house or whatever. It's, it can be an absolute mess. And we've seen some real tragedies with that. And it gets expensive. So what else about a will? Um, uh, you know, um, what else have I got to say? That's probably most about a will. They're relatively cheap. Um, our price at the moment, I think it's £195 plus VAT. You can do it yourself. We never recommend that. Uh, for the relatively small saving, it's not worth it. I'm afraid to say there are all sorts of things. So, for example, things are stupid as if you uh, put a paperclip on a will, sometimes that can get problems when you go to probate uh, because the probate say, well, actually, what was attached to it? Stupid things like that. And that's apart from people not getting the, the finishing off of it right. It's uh, you know, Don't buy it from Smith's. Don't go online and get somebody else's. It's so cheap. Um, get it done properly. I would say on, on that and the thing that I've taken away from what you've said so far is you know, most people that listen to this podcast, property investors are looking to get started in property investment. So I, I think the way that people uh, are going to think about these things is, uh, as, we're, as we're told and, and whatnot, is don't think of it as a cost, think of it as an investment. And actually, uh, 195 plus fat, you know, at the time of recording, actually that investment could save you thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds further on down the line. Absolutely. You know, it, it really is very simple. And uh, that's why it is absolutely essential. If there is one essential thing, I say this is the one to start with. It's so easy. Everyone should have it. Uh, and there really is no excuse. Anybody who's serious about property can afford one and they really do need one. OK, well, perfect. Well, that's wheels uh, out yes. of the way with them. So what in your in your legal six pack, what's the second thing we need to look at? I think lasting powers of attorney, because they're not entirely dissimilar. Um, the will obviously kicks into place when you die. It's pretty obvious. Lasting powers of attorney, however, are when you can't do stuff, but you're still alive. Um, in particular, um, if you're mentally or physically incapacitated. So, for example, during COVID, if you'd had really bad COVID in the early stages and some some people, even though they were relatively young and healthy, still ended up in hospital, incapacitated, they're not capable of making business decisions or signing documents. What happens to your business? It leaves business in absolute chaos. So a lasting power of attorney, and there are two types, basically allow you to give the power to someone else to make decisions on your behalf. 
Now, sometimes this can be a temporary thing, um, and that's often dealt with what's called a general power of attorney. But a lasting power of attorney is normally more long term. And sadly, if people do get into those kind of issues, what happens? If you're in business on your own, for example, and you're in, you're in COVID or you're incapacitated or worse, still end up perhaps in a coma or something, how, how can you sign documents for your business? How can you make decisions? Now, if no one makes decisions, it's not long before a business goes into free fall. You're absolutely calamity. Um, and there are ways around it, but it's expensive. So a lasting power of attorney is relatively straightforward. Another good thing about it is you only need one. Unless you decide to change the attorney, and like a will where you do need to update if major life things change, lasting power of attorney, normally you do once once and for all. Um, you don't normally need to change it. But what could happen, for example, if you didn't have one? So if you're unable to do stuff, um, what about access to your bank accounts? They might get denied. Paying suppliers might not be the case. Signing contracts, insurance premiums you might not be able to renew. If you've got staff, salaries, all these kind of things can happen. There are two types of LPA. There's a property one, which allows someone to make decisions about your property. And there's a personal one, which is more to do with medical issues if you want to be resuscitated. They're different. Uh, You may want that personal welfare one, but it's really the property one I'm focusing on uh, because it is all about your property, your business. And obviously, people listening to this are serious about investing in property, hopefully, um, and they do need it. It is, again, relatively cheap uh, and it's it's a one off, but you need it in place. Again, it's just like insurance. Yeah, you don't need it until you need it. Uh, and it may be that your circumstances, you never leave. I may live till I'm 95 and then just go one day never having needed it. But it's in place. I know the fact that I've got an LPA means that if something goes pear shaped, uh, someone else can make those decisions on my behalf. So if uh, so, in, in in my situation, uh, put myself and Aaron, we you know we run we run the business, we are the business. Then, from your uh, professional point of view, I guess, then would it make sense for us to get that in place? Or if something happens, I become incapacitated tomorrow. Then does Aaron automatically have all, all the stuff that he needs information wise, or is it still best practice get it in writing and then there's no arguments moving forward anyway? I, well, I think it, 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 if you're in incapacity, then you need someone to, to cover your back to make decisions. So you need to decide who is it's going to be. Could be a business partner, could be a, a wife or spouse or partner, could be somebody you trust. Um, there are all sorts of people. But yeah, I, I think you do need to get it in place. Um, again, it's just like insurance. You know, uh, you, you insure your house against lightning. Now, how many of people listening to this have had a house struck by lightning? Probably nobody. Um, but it happens. Um, a flood's certainly more common. So again, it, it, it's not important until you till it happens. So uh, again, get it done as soon as possible. Probably unless you want to change your attorney. It's only ever it's, it's a one off. Uh, you know, not like insurance every year. It's literally a one off. So again, very basic but very important. Okay. So lasting power of attorney, perfect. And then. Number three in the legal six pack, Tim, where are we going? I think the other one, this this one, I'm going to go from combined two here, um, partnership agreements and shareholder agreements. Um, Broadly, if you're going into business, there are two options, two simple options. You either go in on your own where you're the only person involved, whether it's a limited company or it's in your sole name. It's just you. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about people entering into a joint venture. Very common, obviously, in property. Um, myself, for example, all my property is owned by my wife and myself. So we have a joint venture, whether it's a partnership or, or whether it's a, a limited company. And so these documents set out what you need. Uh, and the reason you need it is because if you don't, someone else makes the rules. So if you set up a joint venture with someone, if you don't put anything in paper, anything in writing at all, no limited company, you, if you're in, in, in business with someone, you have a partnership. That's been created by literally going to business with them. You don't need anything in paper. You have got a partnership. Um, and if you don't put anything in writing, your decisions, how you run your business, how money is split, will be decided by the 1890 Partnership Act. So this was written, these rules were written by someone 130 years ago. Fiddled a bit since then, but broadly, you know, pretty old-fashioned stuff. 
So you're effectively saying, I'll let my, um, I don't care how my business is run. I don't care how we run it between us. Let somebody else make a decision, which is daft. Um, sometimes it, it, it's nothing new, but sometimes there can be particular important things. The split may be different. Somebody puts in more capital. Someone wants more of an income. Someone gets a salary for doing more of a job. Someone only can sign the checks. Someone makes decisions here. All those kind of things you need to think about. Plus, really importantly, um, is actually an exit plan. Uh, well, I'm always amazed by how few people think of an exit plan when they go into business together, because you always need a plan B. Uh, it's amazing how often we've come across a situation where people go into business, often in property, uh, and they talk about keeping stuff forever, but things change. Um, two guys I knew very well who I really trusted, really good. Normally, they'd always have a legal contract. For some bizarre reason, these two guys will go nameless, um, didn't do it when they set up their own business. They advised other people to do it. They, they, they then bought business, bought property together and the expectation they continued to run it and own it. A few years later, one of them changed and wanted to sell. And he came to me and said, we've got no shareholders agreement. What do we do? Real problem, because there is a deadlock, one vote against another. So exactly what you want to avoid. So whether if you have a joint venture, you need either a partnership agreement or a shareholders agreement. Partnership agreement kicks in if you haven't got a limited company, if you're just a partnership, if you want more formal and, and protection than a limited company is normally the way to go. There's also a third called a limited liability partnership. But broadly, the two documents you need either if you've got a partnership, you need a partnership agreement. If you're if you're a, a company, you don't need it. But I would always advise a shareholders agreement if there's more than one person involved. Sometimes if you are very close and you trust the other person entirely, you may decide to do without one. So I'll be open with you with our companies. We've been together 31 years, married, been together 37 years. Uh, my my business partner, effectively, we don't have a shareholders agreement because I thought it wasn't necessary. Frankly, the, the, the day our relationship fails, frankly, today my entire business and life collapses. So I'm happy to go with that. But most people, particularly if it's friends or other family members, you know, however much you like them, uh, it's amazing when money, either too much money comes in or too little money comes in, uh, disputes happen. And that's really when you need the rules to be set out in writing. And just 11 key things you need to think about. So objectives. What are you trying to do? Are you building this up for the long term? Is it short term? Is it income? Is it capital? That kind of stuff. What What is your financial contribution? It's not always the same. And again, that needs to be set out. Are you going to have staff um, who's going to manage them? Um Future intellectual property. You know, intellectual property sounds really prissy, but it's not. It's something as simple as your website, your email address, and your phone number. If there are two of you and you and you decide to split up, both want to carry on in business, who owns those? Um, if you haven't got an agreement, both of you own them or neither of you own them. It's a mess. Who's going to manage the business? Uh, whether you need to have decisions limited. So, for example, you might say any payment over 500 quid has to be decided by both. You know, it, it's, there's nothing that needs to be the same for everybody. Everyone's circumstances are different. Um, a non-competition provision is another one. That's if you go into business together, but you decide to split up or one party leaves, are they allowed to set up in the same area, in the same, um, doing the same thing? Maybe they are, maybe they're not. Sometimes it can be a real problem if someone splits off and then sets up an alternative business. Um, how losses, liabilities and profit to be shared. Again, might be 50-50, but not necessarily. Particularly if you bring in a third or fourth parties who are perhaps silent partners who give in capital. These things need to be set out. How do you resolve disputes? Especially important if there are two of you with equal shares. How do you solve that deadlock? You need to have a provision that the third party, perhaps a mediator, can make a decision. Um, so that's basically the critical things you need to consider. Um, but there are all sorts of things which if you don't have, and I'll give you a couple of examples. I won't go into detail. But um, if, if you set up a, a partnership without a partnership agreement, for example, the Partnership Act, which will control your, your um, document, says unless there's agreement to the contrary, 
all profits and losses are shared equally. So even if one of you putting all the efforts in, so that, that, will, that will be clear as crystal. So that may not suit you. Um, in the absence of any agreement, the Act says that any property brought into the partnership belongs to the partnership, not to one, to the other, but to that. There are problems with dissolution. If the partnership has to be dissolved, all sorts of issues. So well worth looking at getting a proper written partnership agreement that sets out your circumstances. And I think the critical thing here is it's bespoke. Going into a shop, you wouldn't simply point it at the first suit you see without checking its size. You know, it, it'd probably be too big, too long, too fat, too skinny or whatever. You know, you want to have, uh, ideally, if you, if you get it for a cheap price, a bespoke suit that actually has your right inside leg, your right waist measurement. Your partnership agreement is your bespoke suit that fits your circumstances, nobody else. And that's why it's really important that you don't borrow one off, off from somebody else or get one online. I constantly see people saying, has anybody got an agreement for this I could borrow? Sometimes you can do that. And a short, an assured short-hold tenancy is pretty standard, for example. Not a major problem with that. But something like this, it's entirely bespoke. Your circumstances will not be the same as somebody else's. Um, and if you don't get something that's written for your circumstances, it creates all sorts of issues. Um, and that's broadly the, the circumstances of both. And um, just to give an example, the kind of disputes that people have in partnerships or joint ventures, um, kicking someone out, that can be sometimes an issue. The three or four of you, someone isn't, isn't underperforming. How do you kick them out? You need sometimes to have a provision about that, um, particularly if they're not performing well. Um, what happens? How, how do you buy them out? If someone wants to retire, you know, for example, how do you buy them out? Um, those kind of issues. Um, who puts in capital and that kind of stuff. So there are all sorts of things. Now, neither of these are legal requirements. You can, you can have a partnership without a partnership agreement. You can have a limited company without a shareholder's agreement. But you do need them, in my opinion, if it was they are bespoke. And one other thing I can finally say is both partnership agreements and shareholder agreements are private. So they don't go online at company's house. They're entirely private. No one needs to know but you. Uh, well, yeah, all I would say on, on top of that is you never know what's going to happen as well. You know, it's... Uh, you know, as facetious as it sounds, yeah, any one of us could, uh, you know, I don't know, go for a walk in the afternoon and get hit by a bus. I, yeah. I mean, you just literally don't know what's going to happen. Uh, Tim, when you say about those documents, uh, you know, applying to which partnership, etc., is that a, is it a fair thing to say that that's the same with the will? Because people might have, you know, I don't know, bullion. People might have cryptocurrency, or you know, they might want that ashes scattered office for peer or whatever it might be so is it fair to say that actually it's the same with a will that it's completely personable and absolutely it is bespoke it's it, your particular circumstances as you say people have all sorts of assets but also it may sound silly we always always ask questions even if it might sound a bit blunt to some people actually do you have any preference for a burial or, or a funeral it might sound silly we've had people arguing you know the, the people who survived whether they wanted a funeral or or a burial or a or a cremation or something else and the, the, the pain it causes families, that lack of clarity, it's awful. It really is. Um, so, yeah, it, it is very much bespoke. What do you really want? You know, this is your money you've built up. How do you want it left? You know, particularly if you've got children, how do you want it left? Does it want them to go all at 18? Or do you think perhaps they should go on trust, which means it, it, it's, there's limited control and they can have it at a later age or whatever? There are all sorts of things to look at. But, yeah, it does depend on your particular circumstances. As I said, what was right for me at 21 would be wholly different for me at 60. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. It's, uh, that's why it's always important to take time uh, to think about these things, and that's why people say you need to really think about these things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and importantly, it, it makes you think about what you want, and then, then obviously, then you can put it in writing, so so it's clearly recorded. But yeah, and also, I think it's worth pointing out that society has got so much more complex. 
you know, once upon a time, things were relatively straightforward. Um, families now are so complex in terms of their structure. You know, a, a divorce is much more common. People living together is much more common. So there are often children with, with numerous relationships, stepchildren, all sorts of things. So once upon a time, yes, it was pretty straightforward. You know, your average husband and wife, you know, with, with 2.2 kids. Those days are long gone. Um, and as you say, there are so many more assets now, digital assets, all sorts of things, crypto, but also the, the, the people's Facebook pages, for example, um, and their, their intellectual property, the, the phone number, their, their, their Facebook pages. You know, you, for example, the, the, the value of your podcast, it, it's a value. You know, it, it's an intellectual property. You know, what happens to that? Uh, if there were two of you, even more of a problem. If it's you and your mate and there are people who run podcasts together, I do hope they've made that clear because otherwise who gets it? it? It's valuable. Yeah, I absolutely couldn't agree more. That just to summarise then, so partnership agreements, shareholders agreements, that's number, their numbers three and four that you've just yep. done at the same time. Yep. So we're left with, we're left with two uh, contracts with yep. customers and employment contracts. Um, I'll let you tackle them how you want to. Yeah, I'm going to be quicker on these because these are very bespoke and they won't apply to everyone. But there are many businesses that do have contracts with third parties. So, for example, um, letting agents, uh, rent to rent, sources, all these sort of things. They have, they have customers or suppliers. Um, and it's always useful to have your own contract. It's amazing how many people get into business without putting something in writing. Now, I'm going to be very boring here. And I'm going to remember something I was told when I was 18, which is a long, long time ago, back in the late 18th century. I remember it distinctly. I'm going to bore you with, with a legal thing. For contracts, you can have a verbal contract. Sometimes people think you've got to have a contract in writing to make a legally binding document. Not true. You can have a verbal contract. You need three things. You need an offer, uh, an acceptance, and what's called consideration. So, for example, um, if, if I've got a Mars bar here, and I'm not sure how much a Mars bar is these days, but say it's 50p, uh, and I say to you, would you like to buy me the Mars bar for 50p? That's an offer. I'm offering you a Mars bar for 50p. You say yes, that's accepting it. The contract hasn't taken place yet. When I give you the Mars bar and you give me the 50p, that's when the contract takes place. It's consideration. Mm -hmm. So once those three things are done, so you make an offer to someone, they accept and they do something of value, that's when you have a contract. And so even if it's not in writing, you've set up a contract. And sometimes we have our clients with lots of money and there's nothing in writing. I'll give you one horror story. It's a true, true story. And I remember exactly when I was when I took the phone call because I was so shocked. Lady rang me up. She said she'd heard of me online. Um, could I help? And I said, I'll see what I can do. She uh, uh, was married and she was interested in property investment and she'd invested £100,000 in a property. What she'd done, she'd given this third party £100,000 and he'd invested it in a property. She then said, well, actually, um, my health's not so good and I want to make sure my husband is protected. So um, I, I wanted to make sure everything was sorted out and in writing. So I rang the check up, chap up and then she said, I hadn't given, uh, I'd got nothing in writing at all. I'd given him £100,000. There was nothing in writing between us. She said he was very rude and he put the phone down on me. So she's given them hundred grand apparently invested in property. She has no evidence whatsoever where it is. She has no security whatsoever. And the bloke doesn't want to talk to her. Now, I then pass it to one of my team. And to be honest, I don't know what happened, but I cannot think of a worse situation. You hand over 100 grand. If this bloke's got no money, where is it? You've lost it. You've got no value at all. And so that gives you an example why you need to have something in writing. Um, an email can be a contract. It's not great, but it's better than nothing. So always, 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 always have something in writing. Don't just rely on a verbal contract. The real problem with a verbal contract is not that it's not valid, but you can't prove it. You know, I said this. No, he said that. Unless you've got it recorded, there's probably no real evidence. And that's why something in writing signed by both parties is important. Yeah. So therefore, with, with those contracts, there are all sorts of contracts you need. Get something in writing. Don't rely on a verbal or just an informal agreement. Don't just nick someone else's because, again, their circumstances may be entirely different. 
don't do it yourself, please, because that just all it means, it means lawyers make more money when it goes pear-shaped because the contract is cheap. Litigation is horrendously expensive. And make sure your contracts are up to date because what might have been right five years ago may have changed. A um, couple of tips on contracts. Make sure they govern your contract. So, for example, always better to have your contract rather than the other parties so it's in your interest. So if it's a rent-to-rent, make sure you, know, you create the contract and it's valid. Um, make sure you, 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 silly things like getting dates right. You know, for example, if, if you've got a letting agent, for example, you need to know when you're going to be paying uh, the landlord and when the landlord, you know, uh, it, it needs to be paid, that kind of stuff. Um, legal, legal right for be able to charge um, interest on unpaid bills, those kind of things. And make them nice and simple. Um, don't don't want use one online if it talks about wherefores and, and the party of the first part, this kind of stuff. It should be in simple understanding English that anybody should be able to understand. And if they don't understand it, frankly, whoever drafted it didn't do a very good job. So that's that really. Um, if you have online, if you have an online business, make sure again, you've got an online contract and, and then it's clear. Uh, again, people sometimes forget about that, but usually when they're signing up to an online service, you have to tick the boxes. So make sure you, it is up to date. Yep. Perfect. Uh, Tim, uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, even a bit lost for words. Uh, here myself but what i'll do is just quickly summarize the legal six pack and then find out if people want to get hold of you how they can one more to go employment contracts i'm not going to say anything more than that apart from if you have staff make sure you you give them a contract Uh, you need to do it at a certain time needs to be in a first and it needs to be very clear and i could bore you for a while the kind of things you need to put into it but if you do have staff you do need an employment contract okay uh, number six is quite easy then Uh, so just uh, going back in order so number one wills number two lasting power of attorney and number three partnership agreements and number four shareholders agreements uh, number five contracts with customers customer contracts number six employment contracts Uh, we hit we pretty much hit that sweet spot of half an hour so uh, i just want to say a massive thank you for your time I've, i've learned a lot from being sat here listening to you but if tim if people want to find out more about yourself and get in contact with you uh, how can they do that? Well, there's a website, which you'll see behind me, www.bishopslaw.com, uh, Bishop with an S, Bishop's Law, or they're always happy to contact me via Facebook. I'm Alex uh, on Facebook, or by email, tim.bishop at bishopslaw.com. Fantastic stuff. And as usual, we will put those, all that information in the show notes as well. Uh, tim, I would say probably expect an email from yourself, because uh, again, I need to update my stuff uh, in preparation for next year. But, uh, Thank you very, very much for your time. Uh, hopefully, it'll be great to well, be great to have you on again uh, in, in due course to chat about other property aspects and get more uh, information on the business you find. Great. Thank you very much for having me.